Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Welcome to Talking Comics episode 259. I'm your host, Mara Wood, and I'm here with Bob Ryer. Can you imagine the way that election turned out? Steve Say. Hello from Canada. And Joey Bertina. <laughs> He's left already. <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing. I'm back. That's what I'll say. Yes, we are excited to have Joey back, and uh, we are kind of sort of recording during the election. <laughs> so... Um, I think we're all kind of equally nervous messes right now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. We are totally recording during the election. <laughs> Gosh. And, oh, this is going to be a good show. This is going to be a good show. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there might, we might be a little bit distracted, but I'm sure yeah. our listeners understand why. <sighs> I have drinks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I, I'm I voted, there. right? Everybody mm-hmm. voted. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some I sent in my absentee early. ballot. I'm good. Good, good. Yeah. Uh, I was telling Bob off air that like, I'm not drinking because it, if I have to take out an anti-anxiety med, I don't want it interfering with the alcohol in my system. Ah, smart. <laughs> so see, I, had, I think, yeah, that, that's good. But see, I think of alcohol as anti-anxiety medication on its own. Yes, So yes. a nice big glass of eggnog <laughs> since it's 30 degrees here was just fine. Yeah, so I feel like I had to plan ahead a little bit like... Am I going to need this later to get to sleep? Probably. So <laughs> we'll just stick with regular coffee tonight. Yeah. Uh, Joey, we're glad to have you back. Yeah, man. I'm glad to be back. You guys did a great job last week. Thank you. I was yeah. glad to miss the after Halloween episode because y'all were talking about stuff. And I was like, nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> talking about that. What was it? The, the elevator? The scare? Yeah. Yeah, yeah be on man. That show. I was like. Nope. <laughs> oh, it'd be so good though. Oh, I know it would be. It would be quite entertaining for everyone but us. <laughs> for everyone but I don't want. It's gonna be like needles in my face, just needles. Oh, needles. worthy sacrifice, man! It would be priceless. <laughs> oh God, it's like it's like saw saw. What is it? Saw two. They throw her in the pit of needles. That's what the elevator would be like for me. All right. Well, I've got Bob already. I know Bobby will do it. Oh, I'll yeah. do it. I will oh, there do we it. Go. What? <laughs> I'm just saying, this is not something I I would be. I'd be the guy that's like, no, this is a terrible idea. I'd be that guy on the episode. You know, <laughs> yeah. Steve'd be like, yeah, let's do it, and I'd be like, Yo, I'm making this happen. I'm so making this happen. <laughs> I'm adding it to the list. My my 2017 get shit done list. It's going on there. Oh god. <laughs> Oh, I'm, come on, we'll get to I'm, see Jen and, and you know, and, and Sylvia, it'll be fun. Yeah, man, you'll poop your pants on the internet, it'll be great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just because all that amazing, really cool, entertaining stuff happens doesn't mean that I'll enjoy it. 
True, true. Um, so we have a, a pretty packed episode tonight. Um, we're going to go through you know, some quick lightning rounds, talk about some news things, and then Bobby Shortle is going to join us for some Doctor Strange talk. And then Ooh. we're going to, yeah, yeah, we're going to hit some more comics. Uh, I think I have one listener question this week and then wrap up so we can figure out who's running our country now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Brothers. Yes. The same um, pe- like, here's the thing. The, the people running the country are the same whoever wins. Yeah. It's, 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 it's those folks. It's them. It's Not the Illuminati. It's Reed Richards. Reed Richards. It's Chala and who else? Xavier. In Black a back Bolt. room. Black yeah. Bolt. Prince Namor. Oh, Prince yeah. Namor. Yeah. Yeah. And then they brought in Hank McCoy. Hmm. It's either them or it's Norman Osborn. The Cabal. Oh, yeah. That's a throwback. Those were some, that, was, that, was a, that was a good year. The Cabal running things. Uh, all right. Joey. Lex Luthor uh, for president. That's oh. what I said. Joey. No. Yes. Oh. Uh. You owe us. You get to go first. Uh, <laughs> uh, Deep breaths. Uh, this too uh, shall pass. Okay, uh, just whenever you're ready, start talking about comics. Okay, I think I'm ready. Okay. All right. Uh, in keeping with the theme for the week, I'll start with Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom Triumph and Torment, a Marvel graphic novel from 1989. Roger Stern, Mike Mignola, and Mark Badger. Um, I'd read The Oath and the Mark Wade Mini and the Eternity Saga, so I was looking for something equally as kind of iconic and equally as representative of Doctor Strange, uh, Doctor Strange's specific corner of the Marvel U going into the, the movie this past weekend. So I logged on to Unlimited and freaking saw a Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom, Doctor Doom team-up comic. I was like, come on. Come on. <laughs> I'm not going to not read this. So this 80-page Marvel graphic novel is basically Doctor Doom and Doctor Strange diving down into Hades to fight Mephisto <laughs> to save the eternal soul of Doctor Doom's mother. Awesome. Yes. You know? Yeah. So Doctor Doom is actually the emotional core of this book as his quest for his mother's soul creates a, a sense of pathos that further cements him as one of the most dynamic, iconic villains in all of comicdom. Um, elegantly illustrated by a pre-Hellboy Mike Mignola, whose rendering of the creatures of the underworld and Mephisto is absolutely astounding. Uh, Triumph and Torment is actually really, really awesome. And you even get a little morsel of the Doctor Strange origin story as kind of a Mephisto-fused fever dream for Doctor Strange. It's got the magic. It's got the demons. It's just, it was really, really cool to read. Um, more Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange, the Punisher. Magic Bullets, number one. <laughs> Came out last week. John Barber, Jason Muir, Andrea Bricardo, and uh, Andre, Andres Mosa. Uh, first of all, this is one of Marvel's infinite comics, which I've always been a fan of. I'm a big um, fan of like innovative sequencing and layouts in comics. So to see that put into motion is always engaging. Uh, add to the fact that we get a, a lighthearted but also brutally violent team-up story between Punisher and Doctor Strange, and I'm totally down for it. Uh, the first <laughs> half is dedicated to Punisher shooting up a lower-level mob meeting filled with dark humor that builds to a mysterious door that perhaps he shouldn't open, and then hard cut to Doctor Strange fighting a giant monster in the astral plane with his magical axe. Uh, but of course, because it's the astral plane, he can see the monster, but the crowd that has gathered to watch his brawl can't. So the infinite comics format allows for some quick cuts humor as well. So it's super fun. 
Um, it also takes advantage of the fact that these two characters really operate better in conjunction with someone else rather than solo, in my opinion. But we can talk about that later. Um, two other books, Wicked and Divine number 23, Kieran Gillen and Kevin Wada this time. Formatted as a sort of haute couture magazine, Pantheon Monthly. Wicked and Divine this week feature long-form article interviews with the remaining gods and a never-before-published quote-unquote interview with Lucy, uh, Lucifer. Beautiful photos from quote-unquote photos from and enthralling character studies for some of the more iconic gods. Wicked and Divine 23 is yet another example of how innovative and smart the series is. Its meditations on power and identity and time are simply on another level. It's just one of the best on the stands. Um, and finally, Declaration Number 1, Joshua Trujillo and Levi Hastings for Lost His Keys Man Comics. I picked this up on a whim from Comixology. A charming little short comic set during the beginnings of the American Revolution that follows the love story of Zacharias and Hiram, two men in uh, the colonies. Split by class, loyalties, motivations, and obviously the potential perception of their romance, Zacharias and Hiram navigate the rumblings of revolution. It's a short little prologue comic, but I'm intrigued, and Hastings' art is simple and beautiful. And those are my books. What up? Nice. (laughs) Big, big fan of Triumph and Torment. It's way, awesome. Yeah, way, way back. That was one of my books of the week. Uh, Mignola, like you say, pre-Hellboy, but all the parts are there, and you can see it starting to come together. Stern is one of the most underrated great writers in, in comics history. He could write yeah. any character perfectly. His Doctor Doom there is the, the exact model you'd want to see. Royal, regal, there's a code of honor at a certain level, but he's mm. still a creep. There's a great scene where um, when Dr. Doom brings Dr. Strange to Latveria for the first time and Dr. Strange is expecting like, you know, oppression and and like uh, poverty and everything. And all he sees is kind of respect and people like, you know, uh, not worshiping because that's I think that's what he expects. But people genuinely like welcoming Dr. Doom back to Latveria. He's totally taken aback by it. So I think Stern's handling of that character um, and the way that he paints Dr. Doom's like quest for his mother um, really makes that book work. And that same story point is 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 coming up in the new Doctor Doom Iron Man book that was released a couple of weeks ago, the mm. infamous Iron Man, you know? So it's clearly something that's integral to the the character, and uh, the graphic novel just executes it so well. Nice. Great choice. Good. Uh, Steve. Yo. Would you like to go next? I would. All right. <laughs> go ahead when you're ready. Okay. Shade, the Changing Girl, number two, written by Cecil Castellucci, illustrated by Marley Zarcone. It's Shade's first day of high school, and neither she nor her friends, you know, the ones that fed her drugs and then left her for dead, are too thrilled about it. <laughs> what manner of wacky wonders will follow Shade as she walks the hallowed halls of an ordinary education establishment while wearing the madness vest? You'll just have to wait and read and find out. Uh, obviously, I'm really enjoying this book. It's scratching that itch that I have to read something otherworldly and weird. Uh, throughout the issue, there is a series of parallels drawn between the lives of both Shade and Megan. And it's got me in the feels when I discovered that the two of them have more in common than I had assumed. Uh, it's a mature read with bold psychedelic art that visually bolsters the creeping madness radiating from the vest. Uh, it's also giving me this like positive messaging uh, that I'm getting out of the book that seems to encourage the reader 
character to be different and be themselves and make bold choices in the face of change, and I like that. Uh, Motor Girl number one, created by Terry Moore. Samantha is a mechanic who oversees the daily goings-on at a not-so-local desert junkyard. As a former soldier who's completed three tours and has spent at least a year in solitary confinement, Sam is finding that the PTSD headaches she's experiencing lately are steadily loosening her grip on reality. Together with her ape friend Mike, Samantha uh, will soon be given an opportunity to leave her life behind in exchange for a fresh start. That's if the aliens who just landed in her backyard don't get in the way. (laughs) Uh, Did you hear me say that this is a Terry Moore joint just before? Yeah, so you already know that it's going to be quality. (laughs) This book is a joy to read. The character chemistry between Samantha and Mike is outstanding, and I couldn't uh, help but become intrigued as to the delicate nature of their unique friendship. Uh, Moore's art continues to impress, uh, just as it always does. The man certainly knows how to draw some of the best female characters I've ever seen. His attention to expressive detail is second to none. Uh, really quick, Josie and the Pussycats, written by Marguerite Bennett, uh, Cameron Diordio, and art by Audrey Mock. Understand this. The issue of Josie and the Pussycats that I just read has a sweet Princess Bride reference right on the very first page. What else do you need to know? Uh, You probably need to know that the girls have been kidnapped by a desperate group of punk rockers who hope to secure uh, them for a lifelong house band for their local club. Things get dodgy, but not before uh, Josie and the Pussycats discover uh, to get away out of Dodge with their tails intact. Uh, the laughs and like giant days like friendship dynamics continue to compel me and throw up the horns and rock vigorously while the slick and stylish artwork of Audrey Mock remains a perfect fit for this new series. Done. Nice. Very nice. With like eight I was hoping. Se- seconds to spare. Eight seconds? Well, I can't fit anything in eight I had eight seconds, seconds left? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but I, I just took it off Gone the phone, now. so. <laughs> <laughs> that was I was nice. hoping you would. Nice. Yeah, hoping you would uh, do the Josie thing because I wanted to hear how the second issue was. It was great. It was great. It, it's, you know, it has very much the. There's a tone to it, right? There's an attitude to it and there's a chemistry i mentioned giant days because giant days has those three characters that you can feel the friendship from the very first issue and it just continues out throughout the entire series and josie and the pussycats has that same vibe to it that same like level of uh like obviousness to it in in the characters and everything and even though some of them are meeting for the first time not too long ago they're already like ingratiated into the group and they fit so well and it just it's on every single page of that book and it's weird like it's weird wacky archie type stuff right like the fact that they've gone from being a local nothing band to being signed and on the road and touring in one issue is so archy and so ridiculous justin bieber come on (laughs) i know but like like I totally accept. Like I'm watching this, these punk rockers, and they're kidnapping the band, and they're having them play at their club because they want a house act to, that they love to just stay there and play there forever. And it's such a ludicrous thing that there isn't somebody from like the 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 label that can just excuse them from this absurd situation. <laughs> and they find a way not only to get out of it. But to like make friends with everybody and what? teach them the power of music using comic book science, <laughs> you know, it's so good. It's I'm so good. I'm gonna buy two copies now. 
Oh, it's so good. I'm also nice. happy you brought up Motor Girl. Oh, so yeah, awesome. dude. So yes. Good. Um, Yo. Just this Go one. Ahead, this one strikes me as more humorous than maybe Rachel Rising is. <laughs> um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Just the absurdity to it, the aliens, the situation, the PTSD, all that kind of stuff. I'm I'm expecting a lot more humor, as well as um, some gut punches from this one. Yeah. Um, I don't want to spoil anything. That's why I kept things kind of vague. But there's there's a twist to this book that I didn't know about before reading it. Yeah. And yeah. it really took me by surprise. Like, entirely. I was mm-hmm. just, I, what? Uh, what? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I loved it. I loved it. Like, I haven't, I haven't felt that from a comic book in a while. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's been it's been a good while since something's really knocked me on my ass, and that that revelation about a quarter of the way through the book was just so well executed and priceless. Yeah, what'd you think, Joey? I was getting um, I was getting Tank Girl vibes because I've been reading a lot of Tank Girl over the last couple of months um, <laughs> until until that moment that you guys are talking about, and in that moment, I was like, oh, Terry Moore he's doing something else here and mm-hmm. he, and he's going to be talking about something there's a there's a very there's a very real uh backbone to this book um that is going to kind of ground the the wackiness that that's yeah. going to carry this through and his the the aesthetic is so iconic you know like you can open this book and be like this is terry moore this has this feel to it and you just you just want to look at it it's so good mm-hmm. um and i loved it and steve you're just looking at your list shade and motor girl and josie and the pussycats it's the most rock and roll lighting round <laughs> <laughs> it's the most like chick punk lighting round of all time i love it so much uh is anybody else reading shade yeah, I read the second issue this past week. What'd you think of it? I liked it better than the first issue, mostly because the pieces are starting to fall together a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the, oh, I forgot her name, the girl that eats lunch in the library. Teacup? Yeah, where she's like, you don't belong here. This is where I got to get away from you. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, you're my new favorite comic book character. <laughs> It's um, interesting. I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'll, I'll say, say something. There was a quote in here that I really liked about books, but I cannot for the life of me. Oh, um, where there are books, there is solace. Mm-hmm. Rick Shade, or sorry, Rack Shade knew that. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of a neat little uh, little moment in there. Totally, totally. Um, yeah, I. Uh, that book is just, it's so bizarre and set up for it is that the the girl that's returning to school that the alien is you know in the host body of this girl there nobody wants her back at this school because a crime has has occurred she's the centerpiece of it and it's setting everybody on edge and and that energy is is reaching the vest and the vest is almost malfunctioning Mm -hmm. and you also find out that the vest is kind of a ticking time bomb uh, in this new issue, and I don't know, they're just they're stacking this story with some really, really interesting stuff, and then add to that the holy, like psychedelic, almost like already in kind of art, and 
I don't know. It's a slam dunk for for me. Mm-hmm. As corny as that sounds, I just I've loved both issues. I think it's really cool. Nice, nice. All right, Bob. Okie doke. You ready? Yep. Go ahead. Well, Joey mentioned it earlier. I also reread Doctor Strange: The Oath this week, and certainly recommended Doctor Strange reading. Five issue miniseries from 2007, written by Brian K. Vaughan, with art by Marcos Martin, colors by Javier Rodriguez. Cracking, crackling mysteries surrounding a stricken Wong, a wounded Stephen, and they're both aided in their struggles by Christine Palmer, the original night nurse. That's right. Fine introduction to Doctor Strange. We also delve deeply into his origin and his relationship with Wong, great deepening of his character. And story and art are superb, so it's out in print now again as a trade, so go for that. Batman 66 meets Steed and Mrs. Peel number 5, longest title I've ever used. It's the usual wonderful treat for people like myself who enjoy nostalgic romps. Ian Edgington, Matthew Dow Smith continue to gleefully layer these two swinging 60s properties into a glorious parfait, with the cherry on top being the fabulous covers by the amazing Allred. DC Bombshells 19 by Marguerite Bennett and Friends, there are about four artists on this, <laughs> a tale of the home front as the Batgirls, with the able assistance of Lois Lane and Mayor Harvey Dent, Try to protect Killer Frost and the Penguin, no less, from a new and even more villainous entity, the Reaper. Scarlet Witch number 12, James Robinson and Anna Paolo Martello brings Wanda closer than ever to the answers about her, her mother and her family. But just as closure seems in a grass, things take a wicked turn. Mr. Robinson's woven magic with his stewardship of Wanda Maximoff's sort of redemption tour and as we see in this issue particularly, all the previous stops will bring something to bear moving forward down the witch's road. Mm. Finally, Spider-Woman 13 by Dennis Hopeless and Veronica Fish is, as always, a book that explores all the facets of Jessica Drew's multiple lives, as well as that of a very rich supporting cast. About this issue, there are some great moments with Jess in action. She's on the road revisiting the supervillain ex-wives of Moon's Hollow, New York, and at home with little Jerry. But about the rest of the issue, I can only say that I have my heart in my throat regarding next issue. Enough said. Yeah. All very, all very nervous here. Yes. Um, Can't say anything. No. Spoil, no. but you should be reading Spider-Woman. And I'm hoping for the best. Fingers crossed. Yes. Oh, that issue. That issue yes. is things to me. <laughs> <laughs> Do we know what Spider-Woman's plans are post-Civil War II in terms of the book? Is it, keep go- is it going, going, going? Yes. Good. Nice. Good. Yes. As, as is Scarlet Witch, which very much surprised me when I saw it yeah. on the January solicitation. I also saw that um, Tom Taylor has plans for X-23's character for quite a while as yes. well. Yeah. Res- resurrection yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever whatever keeps that dude on that book because he has done such an incredible job from the very first uh you know first mm-hmm. issue so yeah i'm stoked for that uh side note did anyone read death of x this past week hell yes i did and i still <laughs> freaking hate that book <laughs> Um, one of our reviewers (laughs) sent me an email he was like hey uh, i did the first two issues do you want me to do the third one and i was and and i was like yes can you please because someone has to write something positive about this book because i'm gonna gonna keep trashing it (laughs) 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. Yeah, I'm sorry. My theory, my theory about Cyclops actually being dead and Emma Frost just controlling him like a meat puppet, what didn't pan out, but. <laughs> I'm sorry to think it's a just an unnecessary book. Like we it's, don't even we already know what happens. We don't it's need it. Totally set up for this Inhumans X Men war. Ugh. Nobody wants and, it. And they did this the same thing with um when they did Avengers versus X Men. They had that like that cable book. It was like X Sanction or something like that. Uh, and, yeah. and they'll do this. Well, they'll do like a four or five issue miniseries, kind of pitching it as a big event. But it's like, really just like a lead into the one that they really want you to buy. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to buy that book. So there's only one more issue. So I uh, will be it. done. Just get it. <laughs> you can hate read it. Yeah. I hate read it. Hate read it like I hate watch award shows. <laughs> uh, Bob, I also read The Oath this past week. Um, oh, what'd you think? I liked it a lot. In fact, I read it on Marvel Unlimited and then the next day went to a used bookstore and bought the trade. There you go. So thank you, Marvel Unlimited. (laughs) Yeah. And then I'm sort of kind of trying to work my way through some of the Strange Tales recommendations. Eternity. Yeah. Eternity Saga. Eternity. Eternity. What does it mean? So I still don't know what it means yet. So (laughs) I'm working on it. Where do you see? (laughs) I want to see Eternity in one of these Marvel movies is all I'm saying. Well, there's like a maybe a glimpse of it in Ant-Man. Yes. Maybe. true. But I think that The Oath is my favorite Doctor Strange story that I've read. The way that it's contained, the way that it's illustrated, the the use of the Wong character, Mm -hmm. and then the Night Nurse. I love the Night Nurse. I just think that 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 part of the Marvel Universe is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I just love and i love it self-contained and and uh, and i think that dr strange works best that way in these kind of like arcs and moments and i think that um i think that the oath just really hit me particularly well awesome all right i'm gonna go ahead and get my my round going my notes out i'm gonna start off with a manga because why not uh this one is called scum's wish by oh. Lingo. <laughs> wait, wait, wait until you hear. <laughs> Scum's Wish by Mingo Yokoyari. And let me just describe the cover to you. It is. Oh boy. It is a watercolor esque, pastel esque picture of a high school girl with her shirt open, wearing a lacy bra, with like tears in her eyes, winking, sticking her tongue out. And I'm like, what is this book? I don't understand. Uh, so I was like, <laughs> You know, I got a review copy of it from Yen Press, and I was like, I'm going to give it a shot, see what happens. The cover has nothing to do with the book, because the cover oh. makes you think it's being marketed towards, like, boys, and yes. that it's going to be a story focused on a guy, like, getting it on with the girls, right? But it's actually about these um, two high school kids who are dating each other, but they're, like, totally an unrequited love with somebody else. So the main girl, um, Hanabi, is in love with this boy that she grew up with who ends up being her homeroom teacher because he's a little bit older than her. (laughs) That's a lot older. Wow. (laughs) And then Mugi 
um, the high school boy, he's in love with the music teacher in the same school. So like these kids cannot be dating their teachers. So they start dating each other. And it's mm. like, well, good choice, kids. Yes, but but they're totally like, just pretend like I'm the other person. And they're like kissing and I'm like, <laughs> guys, this is not healthy. For I don't this is wow. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm kind of like, all right, I'm, I'm interested in seeing how this is going to screw up your lives. Um, so they've got me hooked in that way. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. M- manga, guys, just just manga. Um, so Scum's Wish Volume 1. Scum's Wish. <laughs> It's great. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Yeah, I can't wrap my head around this. I really can't. <laughs> Next up is Superman number 10 by Peter yes. J. Tomasi and Patrick Gleason. Oh, my gosh. This cover is so much fun. Um, this is the one where Superman and Batman are facing off, and then John and Damien are also facing off. And yep. the, the story is Damien kidnaps John because John is an <laughs> alien threat. <laughs> That nobody else seems to be taking seriously. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just, it's cracking me up. I love serious Damien. And he's got, like, John down in the Batcave. And he's, like, examining him, trying to figure out, like, you know, what's going on? How can I suppress this? Um, and then Superman <laughs> and Batman kind of have it out a bit. But the best thing about this issue is that Batcow shows up. Yes! Oh, yes! Like, I'm so glad you went there. I was totally going to go there if you didn't. <laughs> so it's it's fun. It's interesting. Um, we find out pretty quickly that uh, there's some father-son stuff, and uh, the sons need to shape up a bit. They got some work to do. And then real quick, Occupy Avengers number one by David F. Walker mm. and Carlos Pacheco. Pacheco? Mm-hmm. Yep. This, this was a comic that I wasn't really looking forward to. Uh, you know, when we had those previews that come out and, uh, you know, we make our, ooh, this is the one I want to read the most. Like, Occupy Avengers was nowhere near my my want-to-read list. Uh, so I read it on a whim. And it was actually not bad. Like, I, I kind of enjoyed it. It's just Hawkeye being Hawkeye doing Hawkeye things, which shooting arrows <laughs> and, and talking about it, right? Like, and talking about it. Like, having that internal dialogue going on where... Man, I'm I'm the guy who brings a bow and an arrow to a gunfight, you know that that kind of stuff going on. Um, but what I thought was kind of interesting was that this story seems to kind of reflect the issues we have going on right now with the Dakota Access pa- Pipeline, right? And Crazy. Um, yeah, like you know this idea that we have to be careful with what we do because they have repercussions later in the story. There was a um, a leak. Um, from something that was buried like five years ago, like some sort of waste, if I remember correctly, buried five years ago that is now catching up to this community and has impacted this um, reservation in a way that they, there's nothing, they've got nothing anymore. Their water is gone, um, which was their livelihood. And this whole town is suffering for it. So I love Hawkeye's line. Thanos, he's formidable, but he's not a contaminated water supply. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's why you come do this. It's very Green Arrow meets Aaron Brockovich. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. there was also another line I thought was good that somebody said it. And he's like, well, why don't you guys just move? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, he doesn't the, understand the reservation. Like, he doesn't understand that, yeah, that history. It's, that, it's yeah. you know, this is the community, this is our tribe. And also, if we had money, we probably would not be in this situation. Yeah. But we have nothing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Not even the water to drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will say this about 
Occupy. Like I was excited for Occupy partly because, um, and Bob and I have talked about this in the past. David F. Walker, mm-hmm. I think, is like you know one of my newest, my new favorites in terms of of writers at, at Marvel. Um, but I will say that I just felt like it was a return to the characterization that we were getting with the old Hawkeye series, that Fraction Aha yeah. run, but without the visual flair and kind of meta narrative of that mm-hmm. like I, carlos pacheco stuff is great and and I, I love his artwork but at the same time like i almost associate with these it was carlos pacheco's artwork now is almost what the marvel house style kind of is that very um, kind yeah. of dynamic realism and I kind of wish for a book like Occupy, uh, 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 just like we get with you know a book like Power Man and a book like right, you know Green, right. yep. yeah something more, something different, something I, I more Javier Polito or whatever. Yeah, something yeah. a little bit more, just with a little bit more flair. So it was kind of like, oh yeah, like this hawk. I remember this Hawkeye. You know, he's like kind of a doof and he's kind of like <laughs> you know messing things up or whatever and a little sassy. You heard about Colorado? Yeah, yeah. it just doesn't have it just doesn't have that visual flair. No one can be David Aha, but at the same time, I just wish that Occupy had something more distinct in terms of its look. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. Well, let's hit a couple news things um, before we move on to Doctor Strange, Um, Young Justice, season three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How long has it been since season two? Too long. Okay. <laughs> Four years? Four years? Five years? Really? I think it was 2012 or 2013, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, I've only seen a couple episodes of Young Justice. I don't know if you guys have watched. Mara. I know. I don't watch TV very well. <laughs> I'm like the worst. <laughs> I think you... I've just taken the other thing that's distracting me away with this. <laughs> You've only seen a few episodes of this show? Yeah, like um like for background noise. Like when you're working on something. Oh, I know. I, yeah. I I'm oh. really I'm really terrible at TV. I'm really terrible at, at TV. Okay, I can't keep up with it. It's okay, Mara. Just a piece of my heart, Mara. No, but That's I recognize it as exciting. Like I get it. That's how many episodes I've seen? <laughs> All of them probably. None. I've seen none episodes okay. of Young Justice. Oh. Guys, back on Joey. So, so go ahead, gotta, step on me. You're going to have to go on step without on. me. So obviously we'll have to do some binge watching before season three comes out. I agree. It's so, it's so good. It's so good. In my season one was the season for me. Uh, I enjoyed season two, but season one just had stuff in it that I had not. I had not felt that way about anim like an animated show since like Batman the animated series. So, I I definitely recommend that you get your hands on it there's there's multiple ways to watch it at this point and uh it is wonderful i think so too maybe they did a terrible job releasing them on disc they did yes they did buy three episodes for twenty dollars and then they crossed them with each other so you couldn't actually get the thing so netflix is probably the way to go now yep and i'm sure that the i think the collections have actually been like pressed and made that you can get them by season yeah but no, you're you're right. For a long time, it was like you know, go to Target. Good luck. Hope you like DVD yeah. instead of Blu-ray. <laughs> you so. hope you like getting half an arc. 
Yeah, exactly. Because I never, I never got to buy the things. And uh, two words: Miss Martian. Yep. Yep. Just great, great. It is sort of the best version of Teen Titans you're ever going to see. Oh, I agree. All I know is that like when I saw the trending on Twitter, I clicked on it. And one of the first tweets that popped up was like, Young Justice News is cool, but X-Men Evolution fans be sitting here like crying. Yes. Yes. (laughs) They they stopped on Apocalypse. (laughs) I know. I know. Uh, I got that complete series on DVD kind of somehow. Like buying it disc by disc. Uh (laughs) Same problem for Young Justice. We know your pain. (laughs) Yeah, so I feel you. I yeah. feel you. So yeah, we'll we'll probably be talking about Young Justice on this show just because why not? Why not? Why not? Uh, also, real quick, Wonder Woman had another trailer this past week. Yes. 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 Uh, Bob, do you want to start us start us off on this? Oh, uh, it it has still got some. Amazing. Oh, boy. I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm pandering to folks, but here we go. Still has some of the darker vibe that the mainstream DC movie fans have become used to seeing, but it has lightened up. There are now moments of bullets and bracelets. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. We've got some magic lasso stuff happening. We have cute moment with Etta Candy, lovely settings and scenery. The action sequences from before are still there, but they seem as if they've been lightened up literally in the cinematography. Mm-hmm. And it, it all it all makes for something that I was cautiously excited before. I am much more excited now having seen this trailer. Excellent. Excellent. Steve? I'm going to keep this brief. It was the fourth time that I've been excited for a DC movie to come out. If they leave a great movie on the cutting room floor and we don't get the movie that I'm hoping for from that trailer, I'm going to be very upset. <laughs> <laughs> that is going to be the darkest timeline if that yeah. happens. There'll be a letter in the Times in the morning. I am <laughs> has been thrown down. Yes. Yeah, I am once again cautiously optimistic. I am at the part I'm at the point in my life and in DC's delivering of movies where I am guarded. And it doesn't matter what character it is, it doesn't matter how much I want it to be amazing cuz it looks amazing. That's yes. a good trailer. That, that's a really good trailer. Like that trailer has me pumped. I'm so ready to see that movie on screen but they've done that to me before (laughs) they've shown me the movie that i want to see before it comes out and then it comes out and it's not that movie if wonder woman is deflecting bullets off of her bracelets and i'm all like yeah and then all of a sudden she's like in another scene she's deflecting them into the soldiers i'm gonna be really really pissed off Mm -hmm. yeah so Cautious optimism. That trailer was great. I loved it. I even didn't mind the stupid guitar riff that I really hate at the end. I think it's the uh, dumbest like theme song ever. I hate I love it. it so much. I hate it. I hate it. It works for that trailer and it works for the vibe, but oh my god, do I hate it. They could have thought of so many other things you 
could have done with that. That would have been much cooler. But regardless, um, that's a nice trailer. It looks, she looks great. Um, even some of the, like, we got a little bit more of the story beats for mm-hmm. it. Uh, it looks good. The The moment where she jumps into the water and you just kind of see her just glide effortlessly underneath the battle sequences. You even got that little, you know, Batman warehouse fight thing. They're going to recreate that uh-huh. at some point and do the whole slow-mo around the room as she's cutting people's behind the knees and ankles and shit. Um, I hope it's good. I want it to be good so bad. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm 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 ready. My body is ready for an amazing Wonder Woman movie. So just deliver it to me. I will I will lay back and take it. Uh, Joey, good luck following uh, I, that. I I am gonna put my faith in this. I think it's gonna be great. Uh, Gail Godot, Patty Jenkins, you know. Um, Chris Pine, you know, hearing them talk about the film, I, I just, I just have good vibes from them. Um, I love the moment. I love the moment where he says, you know, he calls it the war to end all wars, you know. And I, I've talked about World War One before when we're t- when we're talking about Pretty Deadly Volume Two, and and I just, I love the change. I know it's not the original origin, and I understand part of like, you know, the similarities to Cap and wanting to, you know, make that change. But I think it works, um, and I love the getting that story beat about almost why Diana goes to help, mm-hmm. and that little moment that comes in this trailer. I, I really like it, and I really like when when she deflected that bullet with her wrist. <laughs> I, I came right here. Like I, I was sitting in the theater watching it and I jumped to right here on the microphone listening to all you guys talk last time about the last trailer and being like she wasn't deflecting with them she was using her shield and stuff. Um and I wonder if they just like cut out the shield and put bracelets on her because <laughs> uh, they heard us talking about it. But um, Surely. <laughs> no, it was it was so I, I I'm so excited for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't think we're going to be disappointed. I don't think we're going to be disappointed. I, oh. I I have faith in I have faith in the character and I have faith in uh, in the in the cast and crew here. I'm going to be optimistic about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to see this movie with you, Joey. Yeah, man, <laughs> I do. We should make some plans. I want to sit on your lap as we watch this movie together. <laughs> I'll just melt. I'll melt out of the chair as the movie. So like just it's just. Just so I can see every expression and drink every tear. <laughs> oh, you're not even watching the movie. You're just turned facing Joey the whole time. Um, but I will say the Themyscira scenes are so blue. They're so, so blue. So pretty. I love, I love it so much. Yeah. At this point, I feel like even if the movie isn't as good as I want it to be, I'm still going to be very stubbornly like, oh, no, that's the best movie ever. Like, I see it seven. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm probably going like, to have that um, opinion. <laughs> I like that shot where the gun goes off and the bullet is traveling and she's staring at it as it's, you know, moving past her and she has to make a choice. And um, I think that's going to that's going to be like a very little thing that the aftermath of that scene is going to determine her leaving and it's Mm going to be some other mission kind of thing and she still wants to do good. So she joins the war effort or something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. Um, just real quick, I've decided to do a, I don't know how long it's going to take me, probably years, um, but a live tweet read-through of Wonder Woman comics. 
yeah, so I started that last week, and you can probably find it hashtag read ww. Get it, Wonder Woman, ww. Um, and so www What would Wonder Woman do? Yeah. Um, but so I'm starting that, or I started that, and just kind of going back and and getting back into that Morrison era and, and kind of like look people this is what it looks like back then and these are the facts and this is the first appearance of the magic sphere and you know this is where the jet comes in and and things like that so hopefully you know drumming up some interest in people who are familiar with wonder woman but not necessarily um readers of of the comics so you hooked me i'm through sensation number four nice nice i'm i've done all-star comics and the first sensation. And then I was like, wow, this took me like 40 minutes to read these two comments yes. and tweet them at the same time. So I have to rethink the frequency of, of the tweeting, but I do want to point out in those early comics, it's not clear if she's blessed by the gods directly, or if she just happens to be a little bit more talented Amazon. Hmm. So they don't say that, you know, she was giving these, given these gifts by gods. It's kind of implied that Amazon training leads you to be this type of person that anyone can can achieve that. They just talked about that in last week's uh, Wonder Woman, or two weeks ago, Wonder Woman. Yeah. Still part of the story, Still man. Still part of the story. Never yep. goes away. Yep. Uh, now, did you notice that the first time you see the plane, they describe it as transparent and not invisible? Yeah, transparent robot plane. <laughs> yes. Later in the story, it is invisible, and they call it so, but it was... It, it's... Now, I know we've all watched the original Wonder Woman with Linda yes. Carter, that first <laughs> season. The story in Sensation 1 of her going on the stage, that's, they used that directly mm-hmm. in that pilot. And nice on them. Yeah, it's great. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Doc, what about, oh, you didn't get to Sensation 2 with Dr. Poison. Well, you probably read it. Well, yeah, it would, but I'm excited. I'm excited to go back and, and get back into that one. That's. That's a pretty crazy, uh, pretty crazy character. I, I, I would say that if you're going to the doctor someday and uh, on the shingle it says Doctor Poison, turn around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you even doing there? You know, keep, yeah, keep moving. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so we are joined by Bobby Shortle. Hey guys. <laughs> Hello, sir. Yes, yes. Um, Bobby has has told us that anytime we have a movie, he'd come on, but. I can't remember why you didn't come on for Suicide Squad. I think it was just timing. Timing, and I didn't see it. So uh, that would have been a reason why. Yeah. I didn't, <laughs> but it was timing. It was actually timing. But yeah. I didn't. I also didn't see it because of that timing. Um, Did you eventually see it? I still haven't seen it, no. Okay, good. So when <laughs> it, yes. When it, when it comes out on Blu-ray or, and such, I'll watch it, and then I'll come on and give you my very timely <laughs> review of Suicide Squad. Um. If I sound distracted at all, it's because right now I'm also freaking out watching the election as as we'd record this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We all are. Yep. Actually I'm not. I don't have anything in here. I'm I'm kind of just waiting for you guys to freak out, then I'll freak out too. Yeah, I keep yeah. getting text updates from an unreliable source and oh. it's killing me. Great. <laughs> Hillary uh, just got projected to win four states. Okay. Massachusetts, Vermont. No, 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 Maryland, New Jersey. Yeah, boy, um, we did our job. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> and Illinois. Mm-hmm. So, 
All ones she expected to win, but she just won. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. There you go. Weighing on Florida right now. She's up in Florida right now, 49% to 47%, with 75% of the vote counted. Okay. This is all going to be super timely tomorrow. Yes, when people exactly. Are listening. <laughs> They're going to be like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Or like later in the week, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, we can we can go ahead and, and just move on to Doctor Strange, since mm. that is very timely um, mm. right now. So Doctor Strange, latest Marvel movie, kind of introducing that magic aspect of the Marvel Universe, something that hasn't really been tapped into too much uh, thus far. Um, I don't really have much of an opening to say other than y'all saw the the trailers, you know, as far as our listeners go, you kind of already know what's going on here. So let's just do some quick takes. Uh, Bobby, do you want to give us your your hot take of Doctor Strange? Absolutely. Um, so for me, uh, the way I felt about the movie is I think that visually it's definitely the most interesting of, of the Marvel movies. I think it has its most the most distinct style of, of any of them. Um, and I think there are some very good performances throughout the entire their movie. Uh, I do think in, in terms of some pacing and some sort of uh, story development stuff, especially in the front half of the movie, that it suffers um, from some unearned moments and some shortcuts it takes to, to establish who the character of Doctor Strange is. Um, and, and so although I think that it's still a very entertaining, good movie, it's definitely not in my in my tops of, of, of the Marvel films. All right. All right. Um, I guess I should also say spoiler warning, just in case this part we say anything, but we will be going in depth into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joey. Um, I found Doctor Strange to be a boring film. Okay. Uh, I, 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 um, I agree with Bobby. I think some of the, the visuals in here are very interesting and innovative, but I think that those are few and far between and the stuff in the middle um i think you used the term um unearned right bobby you said unearned moments yes. yeah i i just felt like a, i felt like most of the movie was unearned in a way um and I, it just went in directions and and places that i just was i didn't find engaging um and i think part of the reason why i felt that way is because unlike some of the marvel movies that were either really, really great or surprisingly great and really grabbed movies like Ant-Man, movies like Winter Soldier, movies like whatever that had those very distinct styles and, and maybe linked to genre. I just felt like Stephen, Stephen Strange, Doctor Strange <laughs> was um, kind of a, a generic superhero film origin story dressed up with cool visuals um and it didn't really delve into anything that made it unique even the way that it treats its magic that magical element or that supernatural element um didn't feel distinct or fleshed out enough to really grab me so then i fell back onto yes yeah, some really good performances by um chiwetelegio for and benedict wong in particular in my opinion um but I just felt like the rest of it kind of just – it was a lot of going through the motions. It felt like it felt like Iron Man and Thor mashed together without any of the flair. Um, so I, I, I didn't really enjoy it that much, and it's it's definitely towards the bottom of my list of, of the MCU. All right. Uh, Steve? <laughs> How do you follow that? I don't know. <laughs> I kind of 
I'm kind of feeling Joey a little bit on this one. Um, I mean, I had a good time with it. I'm I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I didn't I didn't laugh, but um, it's definitely the first Marvel movie for me where I felt like aspects of it were rather predictable, and there were there were beats and there were moments that I knew that in whatever whatever shape or form they were going to take, I knew that they were going to happen. There's a, there's for example, there's a joke somewhere in the movie where, where Doctor Strange makes a reference to someone and later on you find somebody doing something rather unconventional and I just I said something into in my own head I was like this is going to happen in probably about 20 minutes and sure enough there it was and um, I like it I, I liked the film visually I wish that some of the parts that seemed a little bit more mystical a little bit more psychedelic uh had lasted longer or were maybe a little bit more clear uh some of that more visual stuff felt a little bit rushed to me as intricate and and kind of beautiful as it was at times i wish that those moments had lasted longer um i'm a little bored of seeing kind of the henchman being the villain and leading up to a more cosmic threat as the movie goes along uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's a it's a very mixed bag for me. I like I said, visually, I thought it was cool. I don't know how much I like the Doctor Strange character. Uh, really did enjoy some of the support cast, though. Uh, I will say that, and I enjoyed the kind of relationship aspect of the film uh, between Rachel McAdams and Benedict Cumberbatch's character. How they were exes and they got to get they they you know they got along and got together in a very adult way and and approached both their professional and personal lives in ways that i thought were unique to marvel movies so i thought that that was really cool uh rachel mcadams had some really funny moments i got some of my best laughs from her (laughs) and um some other aspects of the movie felt weird i i not to go on and on i just i mads mickelson's character uh what is his name? Casalius. Casalius. Um, he bored me. Like he really bored me. Like him and his his little dudes running around, just a lot of posturing, a lot of doomsday talk, to really not amount to much. I thought the the end of it was a little. I can't decide if it was really clever or really lame. Maybe we can we can talk about that later. Um, yeah, I don't know. Weird. Not not a terrible experience. I did have, you know, fun to a degree. I saw it with good people, but definitely not one of my top Marvel movies for sure. Mm. All right, Bob. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm gonna fall down the same rabbit hole as everyone else. Honestly, I found it to be good, but not great. I thought we had some really interesting performances, but in service to only a fair to midland script, very by the numbers sort of. Well, we have to do this and have a training sequence and we have some redemption and some of the balance of that got a little lost. Visuals were great. The one that they don't show you in the trailers, I think, is we get some dark dimension stuff that is very Ditko-esque that I enjoyed a lot. And so I think for me, that ending, that finale actually made it seem better than it actually is in reflection looking back. I had said an issue when Bobby and I did a Patreon from the bar at the movie theater (laughs) 
two two and three quarter stars. I might dial it back a quarter and say two and a half. For me, it's it falls in that second tier of Marvel movies behind, certainly behind the Edward Norton Hulk movie and maybe even Iron Man two. Okay. Um, How about for you? I'm trying to I'm trying to form my thoughts now because I got out of that movie and I was like, ah, that was fun. Uh, not necessarily <laughs> wanting to go see it again. It was kind of more like, I think it was the pacing of it that maybe I got lost on. Yeah, I, but, oh yeah. I like to think, I, like, I'm a smart woman. I know that. Uh, <laughs> so I know that when a movie loses me at some point, or I'm like, what are we doing this again for? It's not because I don't get it. It's because maybe it's not conveyed correctly. Or or conveyed in a way that's that's you know, enticing. Um, it's possible that I might've spaced out at one point. Um, cause sometimes I do that. I'm not good at TV. I'm not good at movies. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. Um, it's, I don't know if it's an attention thing or maybe I get bored during, during it, but it wasn't the kind of movie that grabbed me and kept me engaged the entire time. But that's, that's, you know, again, probably a personal thing too. The <clears throat> movies that engage me the entire time are just, Star Wars. Yeah, called Star Wars. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, like, Our um, back. <laughs> a little bit of, of what Bobby said, like feeling that there were pieces missing. Yeah. Uh, like in his training and stuff like that, like I understand that he he talks to characters about the way that his memory works and he's able to just absorb the information and see something and know something and stuff like that. But it seemed like he, go, he went from not knowing at all to you know, the speed reading course and yeah. was just able to conjure things within a very short period of time. And that kind of leaks into what uh, Joey was saying about stuff not feeling earned. Mm-hmm. And even as an audience member, I'm not sure that I had earned like that fight sequence that happens after he kind of knows what he's doing sort of, but still needs help. Well, there's yeah. no um, sense of time and there's no sense of how long those montages last. You right. know, there aren't even like the Harry Potter season changes to let mm-hmm. you know, like when, <laughs> how long he's been taking and And the, and the ancient one, you know, tells him the, the lines from the trailer too, the whole bit about like, well, how did you learn to be a doctor? And it's like years of study. And she's like, well, get ready, you know? Yeah. And right. And um, it's all very ambiguous. And Rachel McAdams does have the line like, where have you been all this time? But but without without a, a real understanding of the length of, of time that he spent studying, mm-hmm. you don't really feel for it. The, go ahead. It felt like a few short weeks yes. to me. Yes. It felt like maybe like five and a half, six weeks that he was gone. I mean that might be that might be undercutting it by a large sum, but the the passage of time, like unless you're just judging by his beard stubble, I don't, I don't know what kind of clock we're working with here. Yeah, beard <laughs> clock. We're with um, that Agamotto clock. Yeah, the beard I wanna, clock. <laughs> I do want to say I do want to say this though, really quick, because I'm not. You'll have to pardon me if I don't remember if I said this before, but the thing that I did appreciate about it when I was watching it, like in the moment, is that I was seeing something different in the marvel universe that at least the magic stuff and the location of the the vast majority of the movie and the like the otherworldliness parts of it did feel different from the iron man stuff the cap stuff the thor stuff uh even the guardians of the galaxy stuff it felt different and so for the sake of like having a new realm 
of Marvel films, so to speak, like a new genre, kind of this metaphysical, science-y, horror-ish kind of thing. Um, I thought that aspect of it was cool. I'm still excited to see what that part of the Marvel Universe has to offer, especially going forward to the rest of the films, if he's going to get involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, I think that like the, the timing aspect of it, I mean, it doesn't really matter, right, how long he's in uh the the training it, but it matters how the movie conveys his struggle from when he starts the training to when he completes his training or gets near the completion of his training you know or is torn out of his training for you know to to face down the apocalyptic events that are going to occur and the movie does a very poor job i think it's it's again going back to what i said before its biggest weakness to me which is the fact that the moment where we see Doctor Strange, or the moment when Doctor Strange overcomes his inability to do magic, um, we don't even see it happen. We see yeah. it from the perspective of two other characters, and, and just and and I understand it from a meta perspective what the movie's doing because the movie is caught in this weird situation where I think it's a little bit in its own head about like what people expect from origin movies and what they've seen and what they don't want to see anymore. And stuff, and yes, we've seen the scene of the of the hero realizing his potential many, many, many times. But if you're going to have the scene, you've got to do the scene. You can't shortcut around it and be like, "Look, we know you've seen it a lot," and just show Tilda Swinton looking like longingly to see if he comes back from you know where she sent him or or what have you. Mm -hmm. And the same is true for the beginning of the movie because we see we see Stephen Strange perform surgery and do a great job. Right. Yeah. One time he says how much, you know, how everyone says how great a surgeon he is fine, whatever. Then like five minutes later, he's in a car accident and needs to regain his hands because they're all his life was. But we as an audience can intellectually understand that that's what happened. But emotionally, we don't have that that information because because we only see him do it once. And we also get the sense that like they tell us that he's this arrogant um, asshole. Mm -hmm. And you get little doses of that. But the first thing you see Stephen Strange do is drop everything he's doing and run to help Rachel McAdams' character save this person's life. Yeah. Right. So the sort of hero, the sort of journey he takes from what they call like selfish to selfless, it, it, the first thing you see in the movie is him being a hero. So it's tough for you to go like, yeah, you made it. You, you, you changed who you were. Unlike the Robert Downey Jr. performance, where you see him go from a real big asshole to being someone who wants to help people. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like the movie does a poor job of that stuff. And that's why I think the opening sort of half hour, 45 minutes of the movie suffers from that stuff big time. Yeah. yeah and those moments they took out, they didn't replace with other moments that you would mm -hmm. say, okay, we took those away because we've seen those. Here's something new that gives you that same, wow, I want to... I love that character. I love that moment. I want to see that again. Mm. No. Mm -hmm. I wonder too, like, and this was something that, um, I remember when Dr. Strange was announced and there was a lot of conversation about whether they do the origin story or whether they do the story with strange already, you know, being a sorcerer and all of that. And there was a lot of hubbub about, you know, Dr. Strange has one of the best origin stories and you got to tell the origin story. So Kevin Feige, you know, comes out and does the interview and he's like, of course we're going to do the origin story. It's one of my favorite origin stories, blah, blah, blah. But I wonder how much of the problems with Dr. Strange as a film is, the fact that it tries to be an origin story 
for a character that, sorry, in a universe where they've already kind of talked around the central component of this character, which is magic, as Mm -hmm. it being a form of science or a form of technology or whatever. So then they're like, no, we're going to do a magic origin story, but don't worry about what Thor said about magic yeah. like five years <laughs> yeah. ago. And, and part of, and part of like my issue with the film too, and it's representation of the, that side of the universe as Steve, you were saying before, like um, it's not the mantras and it's not the, the Hori, the Hogarth things. And it's not all yeah. the, the, the kind of not campy, but the kind of like um, distinct and strange and weird Dr. Strange magic stuff. It's like these weird, like, it's like, here's a ring. And if you move the ring, this thing glows on the screen and, and it's, you know, transportation and they don't like, they don't do the demons. They don't do the, the, the astral plane is, isn't real. It's just like, kind of like their ghost bodies. Yes. It's not, it's, yeah. it, it doesn't, it doesn't give us a distinctly. Doctor Strange magical realm. Like I, I saw this movie and the Ditko stuff that I think a lot of people are like really raving about. Deservedly so. It's executed really well. It reminded me of the Ant Man scenes when he goes into the mult in, into the microverse, mm-hmm. you know, and and some of the the more grander things that are happening. It, you know, um, Loki does some of that in the Thor movie. So it just didn't feel like they were really buying into the 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 supernatural of the film. And that we that I kind of hoped they would by hiring Derrickson, who did Sinister, right? I think is yeah. is yeah. Like th- if this had been a horror film, or if they really bought in, or something along those lines, like then I then I would have had something like unique and special. But instead, I get an origin story, and an origin story that is the Iron Man story and is the Thor story. So I've seen it before, and, and it doesn't necessarily even do that well um, in that sense. So I wonder if by telling the origin story it almost handicapped itself yeah i'm I'm starting to wonder if no i i like i know i know that as an audience we are kind of tired of the origin story um just in general because we know what's going to happen they're going to get over whatever personal hang-up they have and do the right thing in their own clever way and become a hero that's every origin story we know that um it's hard to spice it up it's hard to make it different. It's hard to make it unpredictable and things like that. And now I'm kind of worried about Captain Marvel um, mm. because I know it's going to be an origin story. I mean, how else are they going to do it? Yeah. And if I'm already feeling that fatigue over that kind of storytelling, I'm, I know other people are too. And I think that's going to start affecting the output Marvel has for introducing their new characters, unless they can come up with a different way to do it. Um, not every character needs that origin story. Or at least I would hope that as an audience, we can piece those things together with either a montage or small flashbacks or, or things like that. Um, I just, you know, it makes me worry that for this one, we, we feel that we're tired of hearing the same kind of stories over and over again. What are they going to do with Inhumans? What are they going to do with um, Black Panther? Are they going to you know, try to just build off what we have right now? Or are they going to do more of an origin story, him becoming a hero? It's, it's making me feel like maybe the era of Marvel movies might be coming to a close um, well, within 10 years. That, I mean, Ant-Man worked. Yes. Yeah. 
And I think Ant-Man works because of its, I think it, it rides on its performances, but it also rides on the kind of conceit of the film, the legacy idea, but also the heist idea. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that Doctor Strange really bought into its potential as a genre film. Mm-hmm. No, um, no, I agree. And, and the stronger Marvel movies are the ones that and are the phase two movies. Mm-hmm. The, Shane, the Shane Black movie, the Winter Soldier political thriller, the even even Thor The Dark World, the Thor movies, when they brought in Alan Taylor to do the Game of Thrones Thor The Dark World movie <laughs> and, and added that scope to it, I, I, well, I, I personally really like the Thor side of the universe, but it, it has something to it that, that grabs. And I just didn't feel like Doctor Strange had that. And you compound that with some of the the casting issues that um, we could talk about, but, but, you know, um, it just, it didn't, it didn't grab. It just mm-hmm. didn't grab. Well, I, I think Dr. Strange really does have one of the great origins. The thing of it is, as, as everyone's been pointing out, if you don't really delve into it or don't spend enough time setting him up or setting up his struggle, both after he gets to, uh, Shangri-La, Kathmandu, whatever, however you pronounce it. Camartage. There you, thank you very much. Uh, Catamaran. Here's the thing. Let's say he has the car accident, and while he's laying in bed in the hospital, he's visited by nightmare. Mm-hmm. And you start to see the mystical side of the universe as it creeps into his own thoughts, and he has terrible nightmares, and that then becomes part of what his struggle is. You've then brought that in in a different way. You deepen it, darken it. And now you've got monsters and demons and the astral plane as all part of the origin right away. He's then combating it by trying to find this, the positive side of that for himself. See, that would make me think that, oh, yeah, he can get through this training easy because he is susceptible to magic. And maybe he was able to hold off that creeping magic and interference because he was so hyper-focused on being a surgeon. Um that would have fixed the timing issue as yeah. far as the training goes, but that's not what they did. Um, before we go into the casting part, did any of you guys see it in 3D? I did. I, I did, yes. Okay. Um, how was it? Like, was it worth seeing in 3D? Honestly? Um, no, Steve, lie to us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I don't know because I am a stickler for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can't tell if the 3D was kind of ho hum and unnecessary or just not as impressive as I had seen a couple of people talking about. Like, it's been a while since I've seen people make the comment of, like, this is a movie you have to see in 3D and not just the headlines. And the you know the soundboard and st- the the sound bites and stuff like that, but actual people that I've talked to, and you know when you're sitting in the theaters and you're seeing something in 3D and you're sitting like a little bit off to the left, mm-hmm. so it's kind of this like leaning struggle to make sure that you're getting that, that that correct perspective to really see it popping out at you. Okay. Anyone? Yeah. yeah. I don't okay. see 3D movies. <laughs> I I perpetually throughout the movie felt that way. Okay. That maybe I was sitting a little bit too far to the left to really appreciate the three D ness of it. Yeah. Um it looked on par with, with every other three D movie that I saw. Like it wasn't like when I went to go and see Avatar and Avatar is was probably the best thing that I've seen in three D. Mm-hmm. Um 
that I can remember as that and Coraline when it was first released. But um, I didn't find that the 3D had really added much to it. I think that the the movie would have been just as visually spectacular if it was on a you know like a nice IMAX crystal clear 2D plane. Yeah. Uh, I would have been perfectly satisfied. Uh, like I like I said earlier, you know, visually it was very cool. It was very different from like the the cinematic to like kind of the the atmosphere of where they were the different dimensions and the different planes and stuff like that each one kind of had a different flavor uh for me which i really uh, appreciated about it but um i mean as far as the 3d being necessary i would say no and bobby did you say you saw it in 3d no i think it was joey, joey. Right? yeah yeah I, I agree i i i would almost say i would rather go see it on a big ass imax screen mm-hmm. than than watch it on 3d because that that would be pretty cool um I, maybe the the final sequence is is interesting in the 3D. Maybe especially the the very last one in the in the when they're in Hong Kong. But um, yeah, it just no. I saw it with with Matt, and we we watch movies in 2D because I have really terrible eyesight. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, you know, I have bifocals, and I've had bifocals since I was 23. Um, so I I kind of struggle with the 3D and the the proportions and things like that. But after we finished watching the movie, he looks at me. He's like, man, when this comes out on home video, you're going to hear a lot of potheads loving it. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. That's just got to fast forward through about 25 minutes, though, to get to those scenes. About? <laughs> but I, I did find the movie. I loved the mirror universe, the, the plane where um, they were able just to do whatever they wanted to uh-huh. and how they made the buildings kind of churn and fold on each other and i was like this really pretty it's like a kaleidoscope i love this this is so awesome uh so i just didn't know if the 3d effects kind of impacted the way that was or if it was just equally as as beautiful so it's good to know um so yeah the casting and we've talked about it on the show before (laughs) uh with tilda swinton in particular um I mean, I think kind of the first casting issue that came up was Benedict Cumberbatch. Why him and not someone who was... Um, I, I heard a lot of people wanting a Middle Eastern actor. I take- wanted Oded Fair. Oh, that would have been be awesome! That's who I wanted for Doctor Strange, was Oded Fair. Who's that? Who, who is he from? Uh, he was in the... Oh, well, he was in the third Resident Evil movie. He was in a show called Sleeper Cell. That's the movie that made me want him to be Doctor Strange. He okay. is fantastic in Sleeper Cell. It's a two-season series about terrorism and infiltration of terrorism, and it's fantastic. I highly mm-hmm. recommend it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kind of like the first first creepings of the, the casting was that why'd you choose another white male hero when you could kind of introduce someone who of a Middle Eastern descent? Because we don't really have that as far as our um, main characters go. Yeah. And then Tilda Swinton being the ancient one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Best decision ever, guys. <laughs> so did you like it, Joey? Did you like her? Absolutely. Absolutely okay. not. Okay. Um, no, sorry. That's very, very aggressive. No, um, Tilda Swinton is, she's very cool. I like her in a lot of stuff. Snowpiercer, fantastic. Yes. Um, <laughs> But there is nothing about this performance that justifies the whitewashing of the character. Mm-hmm. Um, 
There is absolutely nothing. They have a the most throwaway line where Chiwa tells you is like, oh, all we know about her, she's Celtic and she's very old. And I'm like, I'm going to walk out right now. <laughs> yeah. um, there is nothing. And even like the whole like, oh, she has this otherworldly quality to her. I'm like, all you did was shave her damn head to make her look otherworldly. <laughs> like, there's really nothing about about the performance that justifies the the casting there um, against any other casting. Mm-hmm. She's fine in the film, um, but she doesn't stand out. Uh, and uh, for me, I think one of the the interesting things about the movie is and my friend said this. He saw it before me, and I asked him about you know the the camartage and 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 the whitewashing of the of the thing. And he said, "Well, wait till you see, wait till you see camartage, and wait till you see all the 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 different students that they have. Marvel covers all their bases by by bringing in all different types of people to study at camartage to to kind of cover that. But obviously, the thing that stands out is the fact that when it comes down to having dialogue, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch goes into the the their little home base he goes in and he sees the 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 um asian uh man with the the fu manchu and the incense and everything and he assumes that's the ancient one and i see what they're doing there and then when he actually gets to have the conversation with the ancient one till the swing the asian actor leaves before leaves all the people of color in the place leave and it's just a bunch of white folks in the room talking about uh, talking about magic you know and <laughs> and and like that stands out and that's very very obvious um i think that in terms of the cast overall i think that yeah it actually is looking at the list and looking at the people that show up a diverse cast um, most of Cassilius's henchmen are actually women. Mm-hmm. I noticed that about halfway through the film. Um, they don't say anything, but, you know. Still evil there. ladies. That's kind of cool. Still evil ladies, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I think, like I said, Chiwetel Ejiofor and Benedict Wong and even Benjamin Bratt to some degree, like, That's they're the good. standouts. Yeah, it's good to see Benjamin movie, Bratt right? in a good superhero movie. Yeah. Or a you know, better I, superhero movie. I, I love Benedict Wong. I think he's awesome. I love the, the, the take on the Wong character. Um, he's got some great moments and he's got some great interactions with, with Benedict Cumberbatch too. And Chiwetel Ejiofor is one of my favorite actors. And to see his arc as, as Mordo is fantastic as well. Mm-hmm. But um, I couldn't shake the things that I was walking into that movie with because the, the film didn't justify it. You know, mm-hmm. we, you can watch a movie and if it's great and it, and everything, then yeah, I'll be like, you know what? Fine. We can talk about this, but if the movie doesn't meet my expectation, then, then it's like, then I, I can't justify that. I can't justify letting go of those qualms. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob, what did you think? Oh, I'm with Joey on this. We, the, the Celtic line is such a throwaway when she's walking around dressed in a very Shangri-La fashion in a mystic temple in the Himalayas. And the screenwriter and director, were, as, as we talked at the time, we're in a, we're in a pinch. What do you do with the, the Chinese audience? And you're going to make billions of dollars overseas. You can't insult this or in that one. And they just should have stuck to their guns. And found a way to just say, look, here's the source material, a force for good in the Marvel Universe. He's an indeterminate Asian character. Let's not say it's one or the other. 
and go down that road and explain why to people. If you're going to give all these interviews, explain why their character would be important to leave it as it was. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that could have worked better. Again, I think she's a, a great actress. She doesn't give a bad performance. But just as Joey says, every time you're looking at her, it's, oh, this could have been something different. Yeah. Uh, any uh, other... I lo- I... Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was, no, was going to say, any other thoughts on the casting? Yes. As a matter of fact, one <laughs> that... I, a big fan of Rachel McAdams, and if I were casting a Fantastic Four movie, I would make her Sue Richards in a heartbeat. (gasps) In this movie, she, for the most part, is playing Kelly Sue DeConnick's sexy lamp. Mm. In Scrubs. Yes, she doesn't (laughs) get to do a heck of a lot that isn't in service to Doctor Strange's arc. As Bobby and I were sitting, talking, this movie is an utter fail on the Bechdel test. And it's it's a shame you've got a really talented performer who's, when she gets a chance to shine in a couple of places, really does. But there's she's playing a, a what will be in the Marvel universe is a really great character, and there's no real inkling of that, and that's a shame because moving forward she could be a great asset to this series. But now you're gonna have to set up a whole other movie to set that up too. Mm. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, I don't remember two women talking to each other in that movie. No, definitely. There's only two women like in the movie. Yeah. Right. And they're never and the only time they're in the same room together is when one of them is severely hurt and, and can't talk. Can't so. talk, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that's a bit disappointing. Um Yeah. Yeah. So like the more that we're dissecting this movie, the more my opinion's like, hmm. It was fun, but maybe not my favorite. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, 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 we're saying a lot of negative things. I think because a lot of the positive things I have to say about the movie are kind of hidden behind the sort of spoiler curtain in a, yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, Let's lift that curtain. The, Let's lift that curtain. Uh, Let's do it. I do want to say one thing about the casting really, mm-hmm. just really quickly. Um, I, I think that uh, you know, we, we, and it happened with Bob and I doing our little special Patreon thing too, is that we haven't talked too much about Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, even though he's the lead in the movie. And uh I think one, I, I think his accent is fine. I heard <laughs> that it was going to be terrible going into the movie. And he had that very like Hugh Laurie in-house sort of <laughs> accent thing going on where it's like, you sound American. Uh, I don't know exactly where you're from, but you say, really sound American. It's like um, kind of upstate New York. Kind of upstate New York, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I thought he had a couple of scenes where all of us talking about how they didn't, they didn't establish the character of Stephen Strange on the page well enough. Where he brings that out in little in little like little bits here and there. There's a scene where he is having a lot of a lot of frustrations with his training, and he has a scene where he's he turns into like a really nasty sort of person to yeah. Mordo and to the Ancient One, and I I appreciate that because that showed that other half of his personality that they weren't really spending a lot of time developing, and mm-hmm. so I think that built into sort of what I think is short change in that beginning is still a very good performance by him and. I mean, I'll, I'll agree with the Tilda Swinton thing where I just feel like it's a good performance. She's very good, but someone could have been just as good as she was. In it. And there was nothing they could have done to justify it to me because it, it, there is no way they couldn't have got an equally good performance out of someone who was – their ethnicity was appropriate to what the character was, was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that they – they, 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 to, to, to Derrickson, he's been very – uh, humble and apologetic about everything. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it seems like he learned some stuff from it. 
Okay. So I, I hope that that means that things change uh, from here on out. And he even said in that interview that came out right before the movie came out, he said, look, diversity is the job of the director. And I take all of the fault of the movie on myself. And it, and it takes a lot for you don't hear people say that very often. Yeah. No. Um, and, and, and that takes a lot for, for someone who has Derek has a lot to lose when it comes to th- this sort of sort of thing. And I, it's, I think it's great that he said that stuff. That being said, it's just words. It has to change whatever next thing he directs or Marvel puts out. But I just wanted to say that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's move into the plot parts of the movie. So obviously spoilers for what happens um, in this movie. And I think I think the big thing I want to start off with right now is when I sat down in the film and I looked over him, I was like, do you think Dormammu is going to show up in this movie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like right before it, right before it started, I was like, I, bet, I wonder if Dormammu is going to show up. And of course, yes, um, he's there. And I think, I can't remember which one of you said this about the the henchmen and then leading up to the bigger... It was Steve, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was me. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, so Dormammu is going to pair up with Thanos later and we're going to have something like that. Like, what's what's his role in all of this? Is, are we setting up yeah. phase four? I don't I don't know what phase we're, we're on right now anymore. Um, but introducing another huge, big baddie to this Marvel Universe when we haven't quite dealt with the current mm-hmm. big baddie. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's, if it's a matter of maybe covering their bases or maybe giving each realm its big bad mm-hmm. kind of, you have the Avengers dealing with Thanos, uh, I guess guardians of the galaxy are also dealing with him. I mean, he kind of seems to be at the head of the table of all of the stuff, but I mean, my issue stems from, like, I think that I was kind of, me personally, I can't speak for everybody, but, like, I was kind of spoiled by the Baron Zemo character in Civil War in that I've watched that movie a few times now, and my takeaway from that is that he kind of, he won in a way that, like, his motivations yeah. were to take the Avengers apart. And by the end of that movie, regardless of, like, voicemails and jailbreaks and stuff like that, he had succeeded in breaking them up as a as a family and cohesive unit. They're now in the Marvel Universe, the film universe, they're at odds with one another. That's where we stand with this stuff. So I got a taste of a villain being villainous and just doing something to really affect things going forward. And then when it came to Doctor Strange... Mads Mikkelsen's character, I still can't say his damn name. Casilius. Um, I just it it was it was back to the the monologuing villain who talks about, you know, apocalypse times and, and days of doom and, and what's right and what's wrong in the realms of magic and how to use it. And I just for for a while, like as I liked him visually. I thought the whole thing with them kind of having those um, almost like rock formations around their eyes with a really heavy, sparkly eyeshadow <laughs> was, glam, was the glam eyes. like the Funko Pop figure is super cool, you know. But it it coming back to another cosmic level threat. I would have been much more interested in the story as a whole if it kind of. I understand this has been in the works for a while, but if it maybe followed a little bit more of the Jason Aaron 
run that's been going for a little while in that we're dealing with something on a smaller scale to better introduce the character and what he does and how even the little things are important to the big picture Mm. in the Marvel universe. That if he's going around kind of ghost busting and demon busting and taking, you know, everyday things and demons that people can't see and we're the people that clean that up to make way so that the Avengers can go and save the day and not worry about this metaphysical supernatural crap getting in the way. That's what we do. Um, It just followed the same thing that I've seen a couple of times already. And it just, it's starting to wear on me a little bit. Like I still had fun, but I, I'm getting to the point where I, I, I want them to switch it up, and I don't really want to see that kind of thing again. Steve, you know, it's funny you say that. As you were describing the film, what if this had been done as they never would have? A smaller film? Mm-hmm. A smaller horror-centric film with it, its demonology and its, not exorcisms as such, but Doctor Strange sort of possession things told on a smaller scale? Somewhere yeah. between the Netflix shows and a feature film. You know, a hundred yeah, million I mean, dollar movie instead of a two hundred million dollar movie. I, I mean, I don't want to derail this conversation, but reviewing a movie that doesn't exist yeah, is not nearly right. as interesting as reviewing <laughs> the actual movie that came out. You know, like it, it's we, we can say like, oh, I wish it was smaller, but that's not the movie we got. Mm-hmm. So you have to review the movie for what it is. Um, and, and you can disagree that I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you have to like it, but I just mean like saying, like, oh, they should have made a smaller movie, that was never going to happen. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, let, not let's not what actually happens in the movie other than what could have possibly happened in some in some imaginary movie. See, the thing about <laughs> Kaecilia is that I, I actually really like, and I, I think part of it is Mads Mikkelsen, too. I, Mads Mikkelsen's awesome. Uh, Le Chiffre, right? Um, <laughs> but the I really liked his character, and I really liked... And and Chiwetelegio IV's Mordo kind of goes through that same arc too. The idea of the kind of recognition of the flaws in the system, right, and the directions that that goes. And there's a scene when they're in the sanctum after a fight that I was like, "How is Strange winning this fight?" Number one, <laughs> but but beyond that, um, they have that conversation, and 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 Caecilius is kind of talking to him about time and about you know the desire to live forever, which Strange's ego is what he's always wanted, right? Yeah. That that healing and all that. And and it and it hits and it's it's totally relevant and it works. I think it's cut weird, edited weird. Uh, there was some weird kind of camera angles in that scene. But the Kaecilius character, it can be something fascinating, but as Steve's saying, the third act they literally put Caecilius in a wall so that so that Strange can go deal with Dormammu, and and we totally lose that that character. Um, and he he gets Red Skulled at the end of the movie, but at least Red Skull got to be the bad guy throughout the whole film, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's a, another missed opportunity in a film that I think is just quickly becoming one big missed opportunity yeah. in a way. I, I guess I forgot at this point, like what was Dormammu's motivation? Caecilius is trying to bring the dark world, not the dark world, the dark, the dark dimension. dimension, the dark dimension. You're crossing your movies, Joey. <laughs> yeah. 
I was going to say the Dark Hold, which is what Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is right now. But anyway, um, Kaecilius is trying to bring Earth to the Dark Dimension to mm-hmm. satisfy Dormammu so that Dormammu gives him infinite life. But why did Dormammu want Earth in particular? Because he just because devours planets. So that's okay. what he does. He's yeah. never been able to get Earth because okay. that's the, the magical stronghold. Yep. Yeah. So it's extra tasty. Yes. Okay. Yes. It's okay. extra magical. And the sanctums are in New York, London, and Hong Kong, of all places. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, when they're talking about how these sanctums kind of spread out around the whole world, I'm like, mm, well, really not the southern of, hemisphere. Yeah, you're no, 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 no. quite a bit. <laughs> I don't know. We're just here to protect the north. We're just here to protect the north. Yep. But, uh, and we got to go to China because <laughs> we messed up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to talk a bit about the fight scenes that we got in this movie uh obviously a lot of it was reliant on you know the angles and the magic parts and and things like that um but i i found them quite entertaining especially when we introduced the levitation uh cape yeah and the role of the cape and and how it works in these fight scenes and how it operates on its own and and things like that yeah absolutely um i'll jump in for a second i the fight scenes I thought were really cool. Um, I liked the style that they worked in visually. I thought they were really neat. Particularly, uh, I loved the Ancient One's outfit. Kind of that yellow, orange, uh, gi, Assassin's Creed type outfit mm-hmm. that uh, the Order was wearing. I thought it was really uh, cool looking. Kind of those mystical shields yeah. And, and blades that were being used uh, to deflect uh, attacks and stuff like that I thought were pretty cool. Coupled with already the madness of the world that was kind of kaleidoscoping out and folding in on itself and stuff like that. Uh, definitely more than enough to watch and look at as the action was going down. I never actually felt too lost in, in the combat, which was surprising mm-hmm. for everything that was going on. Yeah, when there are four layers of buildings folding into each other and people running across the the rooftops, except they're not the rooftops anymore, (laughs) they're somewhere else, it all did seem to hang together. You sort of knew the geography of what was going on. I I love also that you had, we had mention of the Wand of Watum, that sort Mm -hmm. of thing. You saw the Eye of Agamotto, which you got to use. Yeah. Which was nice. One thing I, I will say, I know Joey said this earlier, I one scene of someone standing there doing an incantation would have been fun, <laughs> even if it failed. But you know, just yeah. a hoary host of Hoggoth or the Crimson Bands of Sidorak or something. Something. Yeah, just a little bit. I I really <laughs> dug the the Ancient One's magic fans. I'm gonna call them fans uh, because as soon as she was fighting with them, I was like, oh my gosh, she's Katana from Mortal Kombat. Like that is <laughs> how she's using them. Throw it. Throw the fans. Have someone with it. <laughs> Um, I, I thought that was really neat. I liked the fighting style there. Uh, it, like it, the action scenes to me were, I think, appropriate for this movie. Just wish kind of the plot moved a little bit differently, slash smoother. Yeah. Is, are Stephen Strange? He keeps doing that, like whip weapon. Is yes. that the Crimson Bands of Sidor? Is that what that is? No, it's more of a prison sort of thing. Yeah, never mind. In case someone's in the Crimson Bands. I was trying to think, like, why does he keep making these whips? That's all he can make. (laughs) He's not very talented. Yeah, that's what things Like, Caecilius, they're, like, making, like, these shadow spears. And he's, like, rope. (laughs) Between two hands. Just Uh come in between these hands, I'll rope you. 
it's just not not working for you, buddy. Um, uh, yeah, I think visually they're they're fantastic. The, the the scenes. I think that there's one too many of the spinny kaleidoscope yep, yep. F- scenes. I think starting with it and then going to it. I think two more times mm-hmm. after that what w- was one too many. Um, but I think that personally, I think the idea of that final sort of fight scene uh, is v- super cool. Like the yeah. fact that the time is running backwards yeah. and there's active participants running around. And sort of hitting each other and figuring out ways to either not get hurt or or, or, or trap their opponents or whatever you might you, you, you might happen. I, even though obviously uh, Matt Spiegelson gets Casca Montelliado'd into the into the wall, yeah. uh, I thought that was a really really great sort of visually interesting fight scene to, to pull off. And I, I liked the way sort of like the the symbols and stuff worked. I thought those were visually very cool. Um, but yeah, I thought I, I thought the ideas behind the action scenes were really cool. I, but as Joey said earlier about the scene in the sanctum, and I think I said this to Bob when we were recording originally, was that I agree with you about the camera angles and the way things are cut together. There's just some there's some bad sort of coverage and editing going on in those scenes. Weird, weird ass close ups in that conversation, right? Yeah, it's weird like close ups. It's like their face, and I was like, "What the hell is happening?" Yeah, <laughs> and then weird sort of like connecting shots. Like there's a scene where. You know where uh, he has him trapped in like that, that weird sort of I don't know what it, that magic mummy thing that that he puts him in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he's laughing. He goes, "Oh, you 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 lost your ring or or whatever." And that guy shows up and like hits him, or whatever. And then suddenly he's like, just not in the right position in the right place for where he got hit and where he was supposed to land. And it's kind of obvious in, in the editing. And and those parts definitely threw me out of it. But um. From from the point where he sort of like, where he looks like Doctor Strange, where he cuts his hair and and gets his goatee, uh, going on. From then on, I really en- I thought the movie was a lot of fun and I I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, but there are little things here and there that I think just don't add up to being a, a great movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I let's, think the, oh, go ahead, Joey. Sorry, go ahead. I, the, the, I think the confrontation with Dormammu is my favorite part of the movie. I agree. Yeah. Very, yeah. very smartly written, very funny, and great. Yeah, too. and and the the moment where Tilda Swinton has that great line where she says, "You know, it's not about you." Yeah, like yeah. that's a great moment, and it, yes. it is capitalized in the third act with the kind of quote unquote sacrifice that he's willing to make in in those moments, and it's and it's executed quite well. Um, but. It's still just one moment in a very in a two hour film that you know most of it didn't really work you know yeah. um, whereas and it's hard to to I know we don't like to do like comparative reviews but when you're the 14th movie in a franchise <laughs> the the comparisons are gonna stand you know um, so it's it's I think it, I think it was a tough place for Doctor Strange to fall. They were clearly kind of like really passionate. At least Feige was really passionate about making this origin story. But it's a weird way to open phase three. And it doesn't necessarily redress some of the things that they've really gotten really good at mm-hmm. over the course of the last 13 movies. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. Towards the bottom for me. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about how this movie relates to the other movies. Um, in particular, the connections within the movie, uh, how we can tell that this is a Marvel movie. 
Um, to me, I didn't feel like there were a whole lot until we got to the very end of the movie where they're like, oh, that is an infinity stone you're wearing around your neck. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, we're doing that again still. Uh, so it felt to me very disconnected. I mean, we just, I think the last Marvel thing that came out was Luke Cage, right? And they make those references to the heroes and, um, you know, guys in suits and guys with shields. And, you know, you're just kind of reminded constantly that you're in this universe that has those kinds of things. Whereas Doctor Strange, to me, was very disconnected from, from it. And I don't know if that was intentional, like trying to set yourself apart and be more of a different genre, like the magic one. But Guardians of the Galaxy was a different type of genre where, you know, we're introducing the cosmic element, but it's still connected with it pretty clearly to me. And I don't know if that's just me looking back and thinking, oh, yeah, it's definitely a Marvel movie or, um, you know, just misremembering it or something like that. But I don't I don't know how this one um, it just didn't feel like it connected so much with the the overall Marvel world. Well, there's one mention of the Avengers, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe an allusion to Rhodey. Maybe. Which we're, which we're not sure. And we, we do get the idea that the eye is the time stone, apparently. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it may be more of the tone of the movie itself, where Guardians seems like a Marvel movie. And this is somewhere in between. Okay. It's not. It, it wants to be something different, but still hewed to the same beats. And maybe that throws everything off just enough that it's oh, I see that. And then you get to the credit sequence, and oh yeah, we're, we're going to make up for it right here. Yes. <laughs> Here's another Marvel character. Yeah. In case you guys forgot. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I mean, for me, I think that. I agree with you that sometimes it feels very disparate from some of the other Marvel films, but to me, I, I don't see that as, as a negative mm-hmm. necessarily because I feel like these movies, as Joey said, is the 14th film in a franchise. Yep. I, I think being able to feel like you're not part of the, the crowd it, it is, it could be a good thing. Uh, like as we've talked about for the last hour, you know, obviously there are issues with the movie that, maybe don't make that such a great thing for, for this film in particular, but I, that it doesn't bother me. I, I feel like you're, Bob said there, there's a mention of the Avengers. What I think is funny is the sort of very nebulous time frame in which this movie takes place as far as compared to the other movies, because it's obvious. It must be that the, the beginning takes place after the first Avengers movie, right? Because seems like it. there's the Avengers tower. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has to, um, but you would imagine that it's taking place before Winter Soldier, since uh, Doctor Strange, Stephen Strange is listed as a potential threat in yes, like the yeah. Winter Soldier thing. Um, and, it and wouldn't so, be as a surgeon, right? Yeah. Right, unless unless like they said in that movie, they're like it's able to tell what people are going to be special, and so maybe he does have an attunement to something, and so that's why he's on that list. But I you think mentioned some of his awards say 2016 on it. Okay, so I don't that that so maybe it takes place now. It's weird what? because even Derrickson has been very sort of cagey about that time frame. The other part of it too is that I know you're talking about Rhodey with that thing on the radio about the person got hurt in the suit. Yeah. Yeah. About. To me, that reads like that guy who got like bent in half and like the hammer, like Justin Hammer, like the experiment Iron in Iron Man Two. Yeah. yeah. Who um, knows? Not this, yeah. Who knows? Definitely, uh, it could be Rhodey falling out of the sky in in Civil War. I I don't know. Um, but it's it's a lot of it's a lot of weird stuff. 
in, in that way. And like I said, the ending obviously makes it very closely to the Marvel Universe. And I'm wondering how big a part Doctor Strange plays in Ragnarok at that point. Yeah, because this has definitely got to take place after Thor 2. Yes. Because of the, the first stinger mm-hmm. way that's set up. But again, not exactly sure. It's part of me, you know, I need a timeline. I need a timeline uh, yeah. before going into these movies. <laughs> because they're not putting them out in the correct order. <laughs> or at least it doesn't <laughs> seem like they are. And that, yeah. that can get very... I mean, when I pick up a Star Wars novel, it tells me where this novel falls <laughs> before I even start reading it. We got a we got a star date before each one. Yes, please, <laughs> <laughs> makes it a lot lot easier. Um, yeah. Any any other thoughts on uh, this? I guess this movie in general. I don't know if there are anything else we need to bring up regarding Doctor Strange. I, I will say, as as for like a multi movie arc, I think that the Mordo arc could end up being a very interesting and effective one as far yes. as creating a substantial villain in, in the, in the Marvel universe, because we get his sort of villain origin story in a, in a very organic way. Mm-hmm. And right. I like that a lot. And like you said, Joey, he's also one of my favorite actors. Um, uh, I think that he's amazing. I always want him to play black Panther. That's always who I thought. <laughs> I thought he would be an amazing. Not that Chadwick no, Boseman is an amazing. Chadwick Boseman is awesome. He is. <laughs> he's totally awesome. But in my mind, when they first started doing these movies and they first started talking about black Panther, he was the first person I thought of, but he's, I'm so, I'm glad that he obviously is going to be a big part of this franchise, at least going forward. Um, so I'm, in, I'm excited about that. And I will say too, I, I do like that the end, how they, you know, how when after Strange sort of saves the day and he and they say to him, you don't think this is don't think this isn't going to have repercussions and that someone's not going to come to fill the void left by, you know, Dor- Dormammu, you know, things the, the bill always comes due. And I think that's a, an obvious, obvious Thanos yeah. sort yeah. of yeah. Uh, foreshadowing. And, and I think it's a good way to do it because obviously involves one of the key items that he's after anyway. So I like that it ties it in that way and, and sets up strange as a very big part of like Avengers infinity war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I suppose the question though, and this is kind of what I was saying earlier when I was talking about the, the comic, uh, the Dr. Strange Punisher comic team up that I, I read last week is the thing about Dr. Strange is he's like, as a character, like deus ex machina fix the thing in a heartbeat <laughs> i can rewind freaking time right like this is a thing i can do so the thing about doctor strange as a character in the comics has always been how do you use him and how do you use him in such a way that he doesn't come across as like an easy fix as a sort of you know grossly overpowered character in with a guy who throws a shield and a guy who throws a hammer, you know, like this guy could transport across the universe and do all this crazy stuff. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they use him and how they work him in, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, I, I, I'm super excited for Ragnarok, Thor Ragnarok. Uh, <laughs> like everything that they've been releasing. I, I, the Thor part of the universe, Thor number one is like, one of my top three Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. Um, so I'm really excited to, to go there. And and if they're going to bring Doctor Strange into that, I guess we'll get our first glimpse as to how they start doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to that's gonna wrap it up for our Doctor Strange discussion. Um, as always, listeners, you can tweet us 
let us know where we're wrong about our opinions. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, of course, tell us why you like the movie, um, yeah. which is what we Nine? needed for this Suicide Squad uh, review. Um, <laughs> I think the overall consensus is there were some holes in the movie, um, some ways that it could have been better or, or different, but it's not a total failure sign of the end times for Marvel. No, certainly not. Yeah. So. yeah. It's got a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Hey, that's good. Wow. That's good. Um, want to thank Bobby for, for joining us here. Uh, of course. Are there any things you want to plug while you're on here? Any podcasts or um, events coming up? Anything like that? Well, it's it's good that you asked, Mara, because uh, people should really be listening to Adventure, our Dungeons & Dragons <laughs> podcast, which Mara... The episode of will be out. will be out this week. It'll be out next week. But Mara guested on an episode for us. Yeah. Um, and we did a really fun uh, sort of prequel episode with her and Jackie. Um, oh. uh, because uh, Brian and both Brian and Bob were were were, were missing the, that that day. And uh, the episode's out now is our Halloween episode. And it's it's it, honestly I think it's the best episode we've done. Um, it's it's awesome. Uh, it, it, and it's Justin Riley who does sound effects for us. It just amazing stuff of his game like a whole nother level so definitely check that out um and listen to talking games Mm -hmm. uh uh because if you like video games because that's a show that we're due and and we're really excited because we've got hugh perry and uh kelsey lavati uh who just started doing the show with us so nice it's a good exciting time yeah but uh you guys are doing a great job and and thanks for letting me come on and talk about dr strange all right well thanks for being on and we'll see you soon yep talk to you soon good night good night all right, let's let's do a little bit of comic talk, to uh, um, as we are. Okay, getting, okay. Yeah, as we're getting close to finishing finishing up this episode, um, let's start with Avengers number one. This was a, a comic that Steve brought to all of our attention. You gotta give me a second. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm I'm munching on food over here. I've had my microphone on mute for a while. I'm hungry. <laughs> all right. I'm chewing through some popcorn as I talk to you about this. So, Avengers number one came out, written by Mark Wade, art by Mike Del Mundo, with color assists by Marco D'Alfonso. Here's the score. In a post-Civil War II world, Wasp, Thor, Captain America, Vision, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, and Hercules are your new Avengers team. Essentially, Kang the Conqueror has discovered a way to manipulate time and space like no hero has ever seen before. And as a result, it appears that the Vision has some explaining to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do get some answers, but not before many more questions emerge and the fate of the Avengers is found hanging in the balance. Uh... Since this, here's the thing for me, going into the opinion portion of this, that was your synopsis. Here's the opinion. <laughs> Since the start of the podcast, it's occurred to me that the reason that this book struck me as as being refreshing and cool is because it's the first time, maybe ever, where I can recall a storyline where heroes are not at war with one another. <laughs> that. Kang the Conqueror is a villain, and we're going up against a villain. Uh, I've I've snarked about this before, but I really wonder where all the villains have been 
and the Marvel Universe for the past couple of years because uh, if they haven't been, you know, um, appearing in the C the C and D list books, I haven't really seen them. So anyway, what we got here is uh, we're actually going after a bona fide villain. In this new story, hooray! The team is comprised of an, intrig- an intriguing assortment of talent, and I'm anxious to see how Mark Wade moves forward with these personalities and powers in place. Also, to the book's credit, and honestly, the reason why I even bother to pick it up is because of Mike Del Mundo. And also, kudos and hats off to Marco D'Alfonso, who uh, assisted with the colors because. This book is one of the most gorgeous books I've seen all year, and that is very much in part. I'm almost wondering if the Mike Del Mundo art is kind of heightening the story for me just because of how visually spectacular it is. Um, he has this way of not using blacks all too much. He almost uh, goes through the trouble of using white outlines which gives his art a very kind of like stylized ethereal feel kind of like Stephanie Hans ish in a way. Yeah. But, uh, the last big project that I've known him to work on was weird world, which I'm making my way through now. But every time that I see him on a cover, I just say to myself, like, why can't we just let this guy do interiors and just, you know, set him loose. I have no idea how long he's on this book for, I can't imagine it's more than an arc just because of, of how much it is for him to put this this type of art out. But um, his talent and, and, and him being on this book elevated this thing for me in a really big way. Uh, the situation with Kang feels super threatening. And there's a huge turn at the end of the book that, you know, as comic booky as it is, and they'll find their way out of it. Um, introduces a lot of peril to a mainline Avengers story. And it's like the first time I've been excited about Avengers in a while. Yeah. This one actually feels threatening. Like, this could change everything. (laughs) Which is much different um, feeling than than other stories. <laughs> um, I, I no, enjoyed it's it. True. Like, yeah, like it's, it's different. It's like you said, it's the heroes fighting villains. Villains are a real threat. And mm-hmm. the future of the Marvel universe could be drastically changed based on the events that look to be happening in the next issue. So, right. Mm. Uh, Kang is definitely the Avengers major villain has been since Avengers number eight, uh, going all the way back. And the Scarlet Centurion is, that's part of Avengers lore too. It is Kang. It's a future Kang. The past Kang might be Dr. Doom, might even be Reed's father. It's all sorts of combined stuff. So Wade makes great use of it here. Yeah. I, I Here's the thing for me. I think the art is beautiful, but I it didn't work for me in this context. Okay. I I think on a on a Doctor Strange book on a mythology book, awesome. Uh, to me, the Avengers are a very primary colors kind of book. I get that. And I just, totally get that. You know, uh, absolutely gorgeous to look at. I just uh, put me off a little bit. There's there are sequences though, particularly that end page this sort of shattered mirror with all the various pieces that that was an absolute standout. And that's what he does the best. That mm-hmm. sort of 
otherworldly, trippy sort of thing. And that moving into the next issue might really pay off, and I may change my tune entirely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mike Filmundo has this thing with perspective in that he's very much almost like he's moving around a camera. Like There are some panels yes. toward the end of the book where Thor is completely out of focus, and we're very much in focus with Captain America. And I, I like that kind of, you know dreamy cinematic quality about it my my thing is that avengers books have felt very blase and very samey and very not interesting for me personally for a while now oh the villains all left with hickman right like (laughs) even even if mike del mundo's art isn't the perfect fit for like the vibe that the avengers give off it was enough to get me on the book, like being an existing fan, and it at least gives me something different visually yeah, okay. to look at for a couple of issues before they inevitably change artists and move into a more traditional format. This is the kind of artist that gets my attention to maybe like if I follow him through this arc, I'll either leave when he's done because I, I don't want to go back or I'll continue because the story is so solid that I can't help but want to find out what happens. All right. There you go. All right. Another new number one from Marvel this past week was the unworthy Thor. Now it's a book that Bob wanted to bring to our attention is Jason Aaron and Olivier Coipel. And needless to say, considering what I just said, the art is absolutely beautiful story is interesting as well though not earth shattering Mm -hmm. Uh, first of it it's a five issue mini i believe is how this is set up and we do get to see what the odin son's been up to he's sort of consumed still with the words from the watcher that felled him as unworthy but he doesn't seem to be doing much to address that as the book goes on (laughs) hanging out and doing stuff and it's like Oh, if you're so bent out of shape, why don't you try to go do something that proves you're worthy again? Instead of beating up trolls and drinking or whatever else he's doing. As it, and the title of this is The Hammer from Heaven. So I'm certainly not spoiling anything, considering on the cover, there's a big sort of axe-shaped hammer with the words on it and such. Nice guest shot near the end. I'm, I'm going to stick through the five because I really enjoyed what Jason Aaron did with Thor before and Jane Foster as Thor now. So I think this will play into where we move forward with the two characters, the two versions of, of Thor. So not completely blown away, but not turned off either. Mm-hmm. So that's not much of a review, really, is it? No, but I will say I will say I was excited to see. I cannot remember which one it was now that I'm starting this sentence. Um Tooth Nasher or Tooth Grinder? I can't remember which one he was with. But uh, Tooth Nasher, I believe Tooth it Nasher. is. Yeah. It's like, yes. Another, you know, beast of burden. Just kind of yes. chilling out in my superhero comics. <laughs> it's like, it's been a theme this week. <laughs> but seeing, seeing his mystical goats, giant goats uh, showing up again, I was actually kind of was like, oh, all right. This is much better now. <laughs> Um, but it's the same thing with, with Jason Aaron and what he's been doing on Thor. Um, what was it? Like he said that he's done a total of 50 issues relating to Thor now. Must be, yes, yeah. Um, counting Secret Wars and counting, um, you know, 
everything that that store related he's done and so he's thinking of this as a bigger narrative and how all of these little stories are they're not throwaway moments or anything like that they're part of who thor is who odin's son is and where asgard's going to be as as a part of the um larger narrative for for marvel so i was like this is pretty cool oh i will keep reading uh did anyone else read unworthy thor all right resounding uh, silence no, I, I, no, <laughs> right. no i did not no. i saw it i saw it with my eyes but i did not read it with my Eyes. eyes. <laughs> <laughs> you look pretty, oh. Olivier Coppel. Yeah. Oh, pretty. I just saw some very depressing news. But anyway, moving on. Yes, moving on to let's move on to Bitch Planet. Yeah. Well, finally. Of voting. It says vote in big letters right on the cover and the title. Oh, fuck it. Only more people had. <laughs> it's early yet. Mm. Go ahead. All right. It, it is issue nine, mm-hmm. and a lot of things have come to a head over the last couple of issues, and this one's certainly timed for the election. A little bit of the delay here. Uh, Mako's dad, who is the sort of engineer and architect behind the prison facility, has discovered the fact that his daughter has been killed, despite they tried to sort of sugarcoat that with various holograms and so on. Mm-hmm. And he's thrown open the cell doors of the entire prison, both facilities, one and two. And basically, all hell has broken loose. And, and Cam Kogo, with her her new f- frenemy, I guess, uh, former special operative Whitney, they, they're heading over to, to number two because Cam is trying to find her sister. But on the way, they find, also incarcerated here, is Eleanor Doan, the president... <laughs> Of their confederation. Yep. Now, this leads into what will a really stunning finale with some... Oh, how do I... I won't say too much. The the finale is... Pay attention to what's going on. The man behind the curtain there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cam's sister is... is, they, They do get to meet. Spoiler alert. As everyone ends up in one place, we have discussions of where and how the, this shouldn't have been allowed to happen. As usual, great back matter. But as, as all these things come together, it's just a great line where uh, Cam is answering uh, it's Penny's question. That one's your sister? She's my blood, but they're all my sister. Mm. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's where this book's about. What yeah. about everybody else? How did everyone react to Bitch Planet number nine? I, I enjoyed it. I You know, it's just one of those comics where I don't know what's going on with Fraction and Deconic, but it seems like forever before we get issues. And I know it goes back to, you know, you can't harp on creators to put content out when you're ready for it. But I was like, man, if, if I could get this every month and, mm-hmm. um, you know, same thing with sex criminals and, and things like that, I would be a very... Sex criminals? Yeah, what's that? <laughs> Uh, I would be a very happy comics reader. I think momentum gets lost when we have yeah. long, unexpected breaks between these issues. In fact, I don't even know what's going on in Sex Criminals anymore. Like, no idea. Um, same thing with Bitch Planet. It took me picking up this issue go, oh, yeah, I forgot we had this introduction of the character. Or, 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 oh, yeah, last issue we had that map thing. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, 
it's and it's I guess it's the same thing for Pretty Deadly, where I'm I'm just like I don't know where we are with these comics. Um, so that's kind of to me that's been the downside to to Bitch Planet. Just I wish it came out more often, so I can get more into the story. But as a single issue, I really did enjoy the prison riots and the introduction of this character and her role in the the prison and with everyone else and how important she is. So I'm I'm really looking forward to knowing more about her. But now I'm afraid I won't know more about her until maybe January or February. Yeah. I- I will say that the the time between issues has allowed Valentin Delandro to really refine his artwork because oh, yes. <laughs> his stuff looks as the best that it's ever looked. And you know, I've read books with his name on it for the last you know eight years or so, and it, his work here is just really great in its detail and its staging. So it looks great. Yeah, yeah. I put it there. Yeah. So I, I think it just kind of you get a disservice when people forget that that's a comic or it's still going on. And like I said, same mm-hmm. thing for sex criminals for me, um, where it's like, I don't even know where we are, what we're doing. And when the next issue comes out, it's, well, do I read this or not? Because who knows if I'll get to it again. Um, but again, that the back matter is just as important um, as the actual story. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad that they still put a lot of effort into it and talking about it. And she writes a essay about Trump in it, um, mm-hmm. which is, which is good. And there was also in the letters column, she, the conic talks about being asexual. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, this is interesting. I'm glad I'm sitting here reading the letters now because again, um, you know, people discuss that we don't have a representation of ace or asexual people because we're all supposed to be sexually charged beings and, and things like that. So it was refreshing to see someone who is asexual able to write characters with sex appeal. So I was yeah. like, bam, that's, that's pretty awesome. I really, I really appreciate that. Okay. So let's pop back over to the Marvel universe for champions. Number two, uh, did anyone else read mm. champions? Didn't get to catch up on that no, one. Tell us. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so so my favorite thing about superhero comics is young people and that young responsibility and Marvel's been doing a great job with Nova and Spider-Man and Ms. Marvel and how these characters uh, take on this burden and, and become adults it's also why I like the X-Men so much because they spend a lot of time with the younger mutants and coming into their their own powers and puberty and things like that and so Champions is right up my alley. I love it. Um, Mark Wade, Humberto Ramos, story of um, basically the the young Avengers who no longer want to be Avengers. They want to be their own thing. And we saw in the first issue, uh, you know, temporary team up. And the second issue is, well, that worked. So let's actually be a team. And Kamala decides that they need a camping retreat to get to know each other better. And it is awesome (laughs) it's just these teenagers out in the woods trying to figure out what do we actually want to do and also who are you what what's your power again uh just kind of getting to know each other and there's actually a line in this issue where you know kamala's she's this is her fan fiction world you know dreaming up teams and and being part of it and developing routines and, and things like that so she steps into this leadership role very easily 
at one point the a character is like, you should be Captain America. Like you, you are the same personality Aww. as Captain America that we know of. And Viv's like, well, we have two Captain Americas right now. So a third one is actually plausible. Like, why not? <laughs> but this idea that this female character who is relatively young compared to the publication of, of some of these other characters being the leader and, you know, deciding the trajectory of the group and, and where to go. And, you know, some characters are kind of a little bit more laissez-faire when it comes to the heroics and they make fun of her a bit for being focused, but she calls them out on it. And she's like, no, what? you are not turning me into the female harpy. That's in every movie ever. <laughs> Listen to me. This is what you want. I am here to help you. We are all going to help each other. Uh, so it's a, it's a great issue. I'm, I'm real excited about um, these characters. I think the cover, I don't have it in front of you. I think the cover is Nova punching Cyclops. Um, Aww. <laughs> so it kind of gives you an idea of who's joining this issue. <laughs> and maybe not everyone gets along with each other right off the bat. But this is, this is definitely uh, a book that I'm enjoying a lot. I hope it keeps up the same tone. I don't mind that it's a bit preachy. I kind of like that from, from these characters. I like having the, we should be better, so we will be better discussions yeah. and things like that, as well as the raging teenage hormones where, you know, Nova's asking Viv, who's your first kiss? And Viv's like, I don't know, nobody. Um, and so just, you know, it's like, again, I'm a sucker for those teenage hero stories. And man, Champions is, is really good. And the second issue is, um, I think, better than the first issue. Wow. Uh, Joey, did you have a, any comics you want to bring up additionally? No. Okay. All right. Um, I do want to point out Giant Days. The girls go to Ikea. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> for all of you who've been waiting for them to go to Ikea, it's, it's there now. Um, we have one listener question we got via email from Gibson Radfield, who asks, what, what Batman Dylan would be the best used car salesman? Solomon Grundy. Oh. <laughs> How could you refuse? That's it. That's the answer. Okay. Oh my God. So that is definitely a very good answer. <laughs> um, I'm going to say the Mad Hatter. Okay. Oh, I think no. would be good oh, with, with, it, with, his, with his hypnosis. All right. All right. It's too easy. It's too easy. Uh, you just you're just mad you didn't think of it, Joey. Uh, Solomon Grundy is the answer to all questions about Batman villains. <laughs> I was gonna say Poison Ivy because she can use pheromones and ah. kind of talk talk dudes mm-hmm. into buying more expensive cars or getting upgrades or extra packages added to their their cars and things like that. Mm, Superman, wow. how about Superman? Is he a Batman villain? Oh, I guess sure he, is. he is. In the movies, he is. Let's see, Zack Snyder. You, what am I now, thinking? You, of course he is. Yeah, right. You guys have all picked people who would be very good at selling used cars. I think the person who would be the perfect representation, however, of a used car salesman would be Two Face. Uh, oh. uh, I see what you're selling. You, did you a lemon. Yep. Yeah, exactly, guys. That's it. Bye. Um, in the email, Gibson had pointed out that uh, a lot of coworkers of his um, came up with the penguin. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, can, I can see that. Uh, but he says, he, I'm fairly certain Raish Al Ghul would be the worst. Uh, so. That guy. <laughs> that guy. That guy. 
You just slit uh, your throat if you didn't take his offer. Yeah. Uh, Mara, just to throw this out there before we start wrapping up and doing mm-hmm. our thing, I actually do have something to uh, to say to address to the group. Okay. Um, this past Friday, uh, Bronwyn and I actually got together with some listeners, uh, Tim and Tanya, who is uh, Murdoch Music Management okay. online uh, via Instagram and Twitter. And we had an absolutely just an awesome, awesome time uh, with them. He had contacted me on Instagram and was like, hey, like any chance? you want to get together with a listener and i said sure you know let's go so we went to this place called the morrissey house and i was like kind of freaking out because you know meeting perfect strangers sitting down to a meal you don't know how it's gonna go and uh they just they turned out to be really just fun interesting and and you know really cool people uh he lives in the area which is awesome uh, for me when I when I finally move out this way and stuff like that. So that'll be cool to have, uh, you know, another person to contact in the bank and go and like maybe see some shows with and everything. But uh, and we also went to Forest City Comic Con, which is a local con uh, Saturday and Sunday in uh, downtown London, and it was a really cool local show, kind of like the Long Island Show Icon that oh. we have, and uh, lots of really neat vendors. And, you know, shops that I know from downtown and then uh, people that make their own stuff. And just a batch of really cool and and creative people that were at this thing. And completely a tame con in all regards. And uh, if you're in the area and it pops by, it's it's a pretty cool thing to go and do for the day. Cool. So, there you go. Awesome. Any other final announcements? Nope, sorry. Bob's club sneak coming one. soon. Yes, <laughs> club coming soon. We're recording on the 18th. We're doing Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur BFF. Nice. There you go. Nice. Um, I guess I should mention Legendary Runs. Usagi's out right now. Our next one is Hawkman, ah. Hawkman by Jeff Johns. And ah. yeah, yeah. And because of the move, which I, I mentioned, I guess before we started recording, I am on the floor of a room because I have no place to sit anymore um, because of the move and making sure things get set up in the new place. And also the time to read the comics. Uh, we're going three weeks between episodes just for this one. Okay. So, uh, just FYI, it's, it's coming a week later than you expect. <laughs> yeah, it'll be worth the wait. I hope so. <laughs> I, I hope so. So that's going to be it for this week's Talking Comics. And as always, you can send us comments or questions through our email, podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com. We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. Check out TalkingComicBooks.com for all of our reviews and news, commentary, other podcasts, everything. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a great site. Uh, Steve, where can listeners find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at dead underscore anchors. And Joey? Uh, uh, at Joey Bergino. Bob? And still at Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. And I am on Twitter at Megamaramon. So, for Bob? Make America Groot again. <laughs> Steve? Uh, I might have to cancel my flight back to New York. <laughs> And Joey. Bye. I'm Mara Wood. Until next time, to be continued.